Please turn to the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. The 8th chapter of the book of Romans. I'm reading verses 31 and 32. I'd like to have a dollar bill for every sermon preached out of the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones preached four years out of the book of Romans, chapter 8. That's pretty amazing. Four years. Verses 31 and 32. You might want to hold your Bible on your lap because I want to make reference to a couple of other places in a moment. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Let's face it, there's a world of difference in the lives of Christians. There are some people who just seem to have a touch of God upon their lives. There are some whose Christian living is in an extra dimension. There are some who live nominal Christian lives. And there are others who live phenomenal Christian lives. Have you ever wondered what is their secret? Now I have to confess that I'm a sucker to any book that has that word secret in the title. If I go in a bookstore and I see a, 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 a display that says the secret of answered prayer, I'm going to buy that book just like that. I figure that somebody's got the secret. I want to know what it is. Um, the secret of success. How to be successful. The secret. You, uh, you know, I snatch that book up. So um, what is the secret of this extra dimension of living that some seem to have? Is it prayer? How long? How much? Is it that they have an ability to get into the Word of God that I've not learned? Then I want to know how it, how it happens. I want to know how they do it. Ah, but I know what it is. It's that they have experienced some charismatic experience. Something special has happened to them. And there's some people who believe they set their whole theology upon the concept that there is something else, some, some second blessing it's called. You start out with Jesus and you graduate to something better. You start with Jesus and you have to go beyond Jesus to find this other experience, charismatic experience. Well, I'm, I need to say right up front that, that the only resource of the Christian life it's Jesus Christ Himself. That's the only source of the Christian life. In fact, the only person who can live the Christian life is Jesus Christ Himself. You start with Jesus, and you stay with Jesus, and you end with Jesus. Nowhere is that more prominent than in this verse of Scripture, this passage. For if God is for us, who against us? Now, to really get the key of that, you have, you, you, we need to understand what the word, how the word for, F-O-R, is translated. 
Now we translate that like this. If God is on our side, who can be against us? And our idea of the Christian life is a person who does his best with God's help. That's not how that, ver- that word is translated. That word is translated best like this. If God is in our behalf, in our place, in our stead. The word for is in the place of, in the stead of, in behalf of. And it's translated in the New Testament as substitutionary. So it was said of Jesus that He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. The word for there is He gave His life a ransom in the place of many others. If God is in our place, who is against us? If God is in my stead, my substitute, then I'm out of the picture. Spurgeon was right when he said, you can never understand the Christian life apart from the word substitute. And so I want to take that concept and apply it across the board. First of all, Jesus Christ, our substitute, is the source of our salvation. How do you receive the Christian life? For living the Christian life is the same as way is in the same way as receiving the Christian life. Paul says in Colossians, as many as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him, so that the nature, watch this, the nature of living the Christian life is the same as the nature of receiving the Christian life. Let me see if I can illustrate it. I receive a physical birth, thus I live a physical life. And in order to have a spiritual life, in order to be spiritual, I have to first of all receive a spiritual birth. So if I can find out how I receive the spiritual birth, I've got some clue as to how I live the spiritual life, how I become a spiritual man. Now the place to begin in understanding how you receive the spiritual birth is at the place of the substitute. Now God had two choices. He could condemn the sinner, that's you and me, or he could condemn the son in the place of the sinner. That's what he chose to do. Paul, uh, Paul says that in, in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, He who knew no sin became sin for us. He made him sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God through him. That is, he became sin for us. He didn't just bear our sins. He played the part of a sinner. He... He took our place there in order that we might be made the righteousness of God through Him. The great exchange, my sinfulness for His righteousness. And Peter calls that the just suffering for the unjust. So that's the only way I could be saved, is that Jesus takes my place. That's the only way God could save me. There were three crosses out there on that hill, as you know. On that center cross, there was the name for the man who was to die there. His name was Barabbas. 
Now Barabbas is every man. Your name was there. And one day they came with another man and they took down the name Barabbas and they put up the name Jesus, the King of the Jews, and he died in our place. Jesus, as my substitute, is the source of my salvation. Secondly, Jesus as my substitute is the strength of my security. If God is in my place, who is against me? If God takes my place, if Christ takes my place, that's the strength of my security. For God doesn't deal with me any longer. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't deal with me any longer. He deals with Jesus. And the devil doesn't deal with me any longer. He has to deal with Jesus. I'm out of the picture. So that when the devil brings an accusation, because I'm no longer in the picture, it's not an accusation against me. It's an accusation against Jesus. So that Jesus is the strength of my security. And I will never lose my salvation until Jesus loses His integrity before the Father until He loses His deity. All right, number three. That's where I want to, since we're in the neighborhood, we're going to spend the rest of the time at this spot. Jesus as my substitute is the secret of my spirituality. The secret of my spirituality is Jesus my substitute. Now Jesus died for my sin in my place, that's past tense. And Jesus is in my place interceding for me. Now, that's present tense and future tense. God deals with Jesus, not with me. But Christ as my substitute in my place at this present moment, that's the secret of my spirituality. The Apostle Paul made two discoveries. The first discovery he made was this, that it is impossible for a lost man to meet the demands of a holy and righteous God. You believe that, don't you? It's impossible for a lost man to meet the demands of a holy and righteous God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if His standard for us is that we are holy and righteous, we've all fallen short and nobody can meet that demand. The second discovery He made was this. This is an even more amazing discovery. That it is just as impossible for a saved man to meet the demands of a holy and righteous God as it is for a lost man to do that. Now I need to say that again, because I sense that some of you said, what? That went right past. It It is just as impossible for you who are saved to meet the demands of a holy and righteous God as it is for a lost man to meet those demands. For when Christ saved us and God gave us the new birth, He did not eradicate the old sin nature. Jesus Christ came to indwell us, and the only thing good about a believer is Jesus Christ. For if Jesus withdrew Himself from me, I'd go right back to the old Adamic nature. 
I've not learned to live better when I became a Christian. I've not learned how to live a better life. That has nothing to do with it. For the demands of a holy and righteous God are as impossible to me as before I was saved. So how is it possible? What's the secret? Well, I want you to take your New Testament. Everybody needs to do this. I don't want to ask you always, often, to, you know, to search through some, you know, the Bible. We don't normally do this. So you, you need to open your Bible. If you don't know where uh, these books are, there's an index. I, uh, I've said before, you know, that a lot of times if, if I'm ever in a speaking conference and sitting on the platform, the preacher always says, now I want us all to turn to the book of Nahum or something like that. I have absolutely no idea where it is. I, I kind of know where it is, and I'm up there thumbing around. I hate to look at the index. You know, it's a preacher up there. But it's okay if you look at the index. Go look at the book of Colossians, okay? The book of Colossians. Now, we're going to look at two or three verses here, and then we'll go back toward the book of Matthew. So let's find Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 27 of Colossians 1. Now let me, let me bring us up to speed here. Christ, my substitute, is the secret of my spirituality. I'm trying to help us see this morning how we can live in that extra dimension, how we can live that phenomenal life, how we can have the life that has a touch of God upon it that you so sense in others. Verse 27 of chapter 1. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, here's the mystery to the Gentiles, the mysterion, the revelation of God, that which is known only by revelation divine, which is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, most of us translate that verse like this. Christ is in me, and that's my hope of going to heaven. Doesn't mean that at all. Forget that. It means this. Christ in you is glory's hope for you. So that all glory has this hope for you, and that is Christ in you. And the only hope that glory has for you, God has for you, is that Christ is in you. Hallelujah. Now if I read this, Christ in me is my hope of glory, that one day I'll get to go to heaven. I mean, there's some doubt about that. There's no doubt in this verse. It's glory's hope for you, that is, Christ indwells you. And all of heaven stands on its tiptoes this morning, looking out over the battlements, thinking to, my, thinking to themselves, Christ is in them, that's their hope of glory. All right, let's look at a second verse. Chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Now, take a pencil and underline the words, Christ who is our life. You know another verse of Scripture that reminds you of that? Yeah, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who delivered Himself up, who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. Christ is my life. Now, what does that, what does that mean? It means that the life I'm living is Christ's life living in me. It's Christ living in me. That's the hope of glory. All right, chapter 3, verse 11. New Testament is translated all. If Christ is all and He is in you all, then what does that say? It says that everything you need, you have already. I'm not looking for a second blessing. I'm just trying to find, you know, live up to the first one, to be honest with you. I'm not trying to find some charismatic experience have no desire to seek some charismatic experience. I have all that I can ever get. If I lived to be a billion years, a billion years in heaven, I'd have no more then than I have right now. Christ is all and He's in me. Does that make sense? Did you notice that, have you noticed that everything that a person really needs in this life, Jesus has been called? You're hungry? He's called the bread. You're thirsty? He's called water. You're lost? He's called the way. You're ignorant? He's called the truth. You're dead? He's called the life. You're a zoologist? He's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. You're an archaeologist? He's called the rock. You're a botanist? He's called the lily of the valley. Everything that is important to you, that you need, He is. Now what does that mean? It means that there is nothing in this life that you will ever need that He does not supply and have. And He's in you. Now when they came to Jesus and said, there's 5,000 people out here and they're hungry and they don't have anything to eat. We need to send them home for lunch and then they can come back and hear you. And Jesus said, no, you set them down here and I'm going to feed them. Well, we got five loaves, two fishes. So they fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. Now, I don't know what else there is in that story but this. I know this, that you don't have to go anywhere else to find everything you need in Jesus Christ. You have it already. He is all and in all. You just need Jesus. All right, let's look at a couple, one, one or two more. Chapter 2, verse 9 of Colossians. Stay right in Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 9. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He's talking about Jesus. The he, their pronoun is Jesus. For in Jesus all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in Him you have been made complete, and He is the head over all rule and authority. Now what Jesus proved was this, that God can indwell in fullness a human body. Did you hear that? What Jesus proved is that a human body can contain the fullness of deity. A human body can contain the fullness of deity Jesus proved. When I was in college, I worked for a word record company. And my job was to sell door to door these word record albums. It had music and scripture and stories, Bible stories on them. And I sold those things along with uh, uh, 
phonograph records, record players, along with it, going to college. Salesman of the year, as a matter of fact, in my district. Thought that would be impressive, just to drop that one in. <laughs> and on this record album, they had what they had this for youth. They had the game of life. It is show, show of hands. How many of you heard that record, the game of life? That's what I thought. One, my my wife. <laughs> really, really popular. It was really popular. Well, in this record, it, it, it pictures the Christian life, the game of life as a football game, and God is the coach. As I think about that, I think of Tom Landry, you know, God walking up and down. And uh, he's, he, he's the coach, and, and you're playing the game, and you can just, it has, has all these sound effects, these crowd cheering in the, in, the, in the background. It talks about this player, you know, running with a football, trying to make a touchdown, a game of life, and a cheer goes up, and the coach runs out and embraces him, and he wins the game. Only thing wrong with that is an absolute horrible theology. Poor kids that learned that is his theology. God is not some coach standing on the sidelines, cheering you on, embracing you when you do well. He is indwelling you in body. A human body can contain the fullness of deity, and the world is not interested in seeing you how you play the game. Couldn't care less. The world is not interested how many we had in Sunday school this morning. I used to pick up the paper and, and, and read where these church would tell how many had in Sunday school, how many had last year in Sunday school, how much the improvement that was. I'm thinking to myself, who cares? The world didn't care how much we do for God. The world wants to know what God can do for them. Can He come into my life and meet my need? And Jesus is the proof that your body is the container of God. Now, I heard about a guy who had this little saying on his desk, a little phrase, for this I have Christ. I've been where people are suffering this week, hurting, for this I have Christ. And I got a call last night, late at night. A dear lady in our church lost her son to cancer. For this I have Christ. And my child, you're thinking, my last baby is going off to school. Gonna, my child is getting, for this I have Christ. I have, a, I have a bad lab report. For this Jesus indwells me in, in my body. For this I have Christ. Now, I want you to turn over to the book of John, chapter 14. I don't know whether you're liking this or not, but I'm having a good time with this, with this, this morning. And we, we, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be out on time. I notice that when we have a guest singer, Mark always cuts the, serve, the music short. You ever notice that? He had less songs. And less. John, chapter 14. And I'm going to read verses 10 and 11. Look at that. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does His works. Believe me 
that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, otherwise believe on account of the works themselves. Now I need to give you the context of this. These disciples are distressed because Jesus is about to leave them. And Jesus says to them, don't you understand the principle by which I live? Don't you understand the principle by which I live? My physical presence is not the key to my life. My physical presence is not the key to my life. My Father is the key to my life. So my physical absence is not going to make any difference. As a matter of fact, he says, when I get out of here, you're going to do my works and greater works than I did you're going to do. It's not a matter of my physical presence. It's a matter of the presence of the Father who indwells you. Listen. Your body is the container of the fullness of God. You say, well, that means that I'm just supposed to be passive and do nothing. No, that doesn't mean that. For the most, the busiest person on earth was Jesus Christ for three years. I want to point you to one other verse, chapter 7 of Luke. Just turn back one book. Now, occasionally... Um, you know, something will happen to you during the week that is important for Sunday. And I was doing my quiet time this week and had no idea, wasn't even thinking about this sermon. I was reading from the seventh chapter of Luke, verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him, one owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. He, gave, he forgave them out of grace both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Okay, you answer back to me. Which would love him more? Have y'all gone home? Y'all, are you, <laughs> the, the one, What? Most, owed him most. Now, two things, watch this. One is this, that it doesn't matter how much or how little you owe him. Let me say it this way. If you're broke, it doesn't matter how much you owe. I mean, if you're totally broke, if you owe $10, I mean, it's, it'd be like owing 1000 I'm a, I told you about the day I went to Homeland and I went to check out and I had about $2.30 purchase, felt in my pocket, didn't have a penny. Now, it wasn't much. The lady said, oh, it's just $2.32. I said, well, that helps a lot. When they broke, totally broke. I mean, it could be a million. Okay, so you and I owe a debt we can't pay. I, I don't, you know, I'm thinking about these little children. Little children, they're just, maybe just, have come to an age of accountability. They, 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 haven't, they haven't lived like some of us have lived. But it doesn't matter. If you owe a debt you can't pay, how big the debt is. All right, second thing about this is that the motivation for loving Him is not in order to get Him to cancel the debt. The motivation for loving and serving Him is because He's already canceled the debt. Now what he's saying is this. 
When you come to grips with the fact that Jesus stepped in your place and became your substitute, you want to serve Him with the rest of your life on the basis of what He's done for you. That's the motivation. A response to His love. A loving response to His love. So you say, well, if I believe like you did, Pastor, I'd do nothing. Well, that's not right. The more you know how much He's done for you, the more you serve Him. That's the whole motivation. That's the secret of my spirituality. Now, I haven't been too many places in the world, but one of my favorite places to visit is the National Art Gallery in London, England. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to tell you that I'm a real connoisseur of art or <laughs> all that stuff, but I love to go to the, to the National Gallery of Art in London, England. Been there two or three times, as a matter of fact. One day I was standing there looking at one of those famous paintings by Van Gogh, and a guy came up with his wife and stared at the picture and said, Man, what a brush. Wonder what kind of brush that was. Wow, what a brush. And while they were standing there saying, Man, what a brush, another person came up and stood and said, wonder who painted that? And this guy said, well, look down in the right-hand corner there, the name of the brush is there. And they bent over and they looked. Is that, that's ridiculous, isn't it? You see, it wasn't the brush. It was the artist whose name was down in the right-hand corner. It was the artist, not the brush, who received the glory for that painting. You know what you are? You're the brush. And when you understand that, that you place yourself in his, at His disposal, He takes you like a brush of camel's hair and splashes you on the canvas of the world. And who gets the glory? He gets the glory. You can stop trying to be the one. For the secret of your spirituality and mine is Christ, our substitute. Would you like to know Him this morning? Would you like to come to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Would you like to place your life at His disposal today and see what will happen? For this I have Christ. For this I have Christ. Would you like to come today and do that? Then you join me in this prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No, please, no movement, nowhere, please. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, would you say these words after me in your heart? You don't have to say them out loud. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. crucified, buried, and raised. And by faith, I trust you and accept you as my Savior. By faith, I receive the new birth. By faith, I commit my life to your Lordship. 
to be my boss, to take in your hands this life as a brush. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Look here, would you? We stand in a moment to sing our invitation. I want to invite you to come. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, come and make it public. Come for baptism. Maybe you need to come this morning and place your life in the church. Or maybe you've mis- misunderstood and you've tried your best with God's help to live for Him and it's just been a miserable and exhausting experience. You want to do it the right way. While we stand to sing and the choir sings, we invite you to come. On the first word, would you come?